My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website at hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. All right, well, we are uh, continuing on 1 Corinthians. If you guys want to open your Bibles, if you've got them, open your smartphone, uh, whatever you've got, tablet, whatever, uh, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. And you guys have come to a great Sunday uh, because we are beginning a new study in 1 Corinthians. So uh, we just finished our study in Galatians. It was awesome. We're going through some of the uh, um, letters from the Apostle Paul. And so that leads us to 1 Corinthians. We talked last week, uh, we opened up 1 Corinthians and talked about the background of it, why it was written. We looked in the book of Acts chapter 18 where, you know, Paul planted a church in Corinth and uh, we got to look at that. We got to look at where uh, the church was, when he was there, uh, what happened and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so it was really cool to be able to look at that. Now, this is a, a church very much that Paul loved. Um, he, you know, obviously he planted this church. He spent time with this church over a year and a half. He spent with this church. So he loves this church. This is like one of his babies, right? One of his churches. And then what happened is, is, you know, last week we talked a little bit about how Corinth is just a city that, uh, is, is just bombarded by the things of the world, bombarded by things that are, uh, you know, ungodly. And so that is kind of what, uh, he's is what Corinth is dealing with the church in Corinth and what happens instead of the the church uh, Having an influence on the world and the community around them It was the community around them that was having an influence on the church And we're going to talk about what it means to be a church and how we are to look different in just a little bit But that's what was going on and so Paul uh, through guidance of the Holy Spirit said I am going to write them a letter uh, because we've got some things that we need to talk about I know that there was a letter before this that was written, um, that Paul had written to them. They, I know that probably what is going on is some of the elders in the church were going, hey, Paul, we're trying to kind of do this thing the right way, but there's a lot of things going on in the church that we don't agree with, a lot of like sinful behaviors that are going on within the members of the church. They're not looking like the body of Christ anymore. They're not looking like Jesus anymore. Um, they are kind of going the way of the community that they live in. And, uh, and instead of them, like I said, instead of them reaching them, uh, it was the community that was kind of infiltrating the church. And so, and we'll talk about what that means more in just a little bit. But, uh, but so Paul was like, hey, all right, let me give you some pointers. And, um, and he ended up writing a letter that we don't have, uh, but we're assuming that it answered a lot of questions because there is um, reference to that letter. But uh, maybe answering some questions that they had, but things still weren't going good. And so uh, some friends of Paul got word back to him and said, hey, uh, things are looking real bad at Corinth. And so if you could just write a letter uh, and kind of talk to them a little bit about that, that would be awesome. So Paul, in this letter, this is a very hard letter, all right? Uh, in this letter are just a lot of things that Paul's having to basically correct. He's like, look, that's not what God wants. It's not how God wants you to act. And so he's having to correct a lot of things. So whenever we read this, it's like, man, golly, like he's, he's just really hard on them. He's having to bring up a lot of things. And so preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians is a little bit tough uh, because we have to obviously 
you know, a lot of this stuff applies to us. And so whenever we look into us, it kind of hits us uh, and kind of steps on our toes just a little bit whenever we have to read through this book because there are some things that are going on in that church that might define who we are and like what we're going through. And so whenever we read this, it's like, oh man, it just seems like constantly God's telling me to be better at this, to do better at this, to don't do this, but to act like this. And for somebody who, who isn't really familiar with the Bible, um, a lot of people will look at the Bible and say, oh, it's just a bunch of rules and regulations and like do's and don'ts and God's just a killjoy and he's trying just to like steal our fun and, and there's just this God that, that I'm supposed to, to you know, be good for and all this other kind of stuff. And so whenever you like, you might read this book, if you flipped into 1 Corinthians, you might think that's what the Bible's all about. But this is just one letter in a whole lot of different books in the Bible. And, uh, and yeah, it is. The, the church, the people of God are supposed to look different than the world. They are supposed to be acting different. God does give us commands in Scripture that says, hey, this is what holiness is. Like, this is what I want you to be like, and this is not of me. This kind of stuff is not of me. And so that's what we're supposed to do. Um, and so reading this letter, like going through this, it's going to be a long one, so we're going to be in it for, you know, a few weeks at least. Um, I'll say weeks. Uh, at least. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's going to, like, at some point it's going to be like, man, like, well, where's some encouragement in this, Right. And so hopefully we'll be able to find some encouragement in this, but also just be ready uh, for what it has to tell us. Now, today is not going to be about that. Today is going to be his opening to this letter that we're going to break down just a little bit. And I love how Paul opens uh, this letter because, again, he's going to get into a lot of stuff. But I love how he opens this letter because it's almost like Paul had to really pray and had to really, like, seek the Lord before having to talk to them. All right. Have you guys ever um, had someone in your life that that knew better, but they were acting a different way? You know what I'm saying? Like parents say that a lot to their kids. You know better than that, right? Parents say that a lot to their kids. A lot of times whenever somebody's not acting the way that we, you know, like we're like, man, you know better than that. What we want to do is we want to like shoot them a text or we want to call them and be like, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you acting this way? Why, why are you being like this, right? But how many times in your life have you just, and even if you know the person really well, how many times in your life have you just called them up and, and kind of just started in on them and it went really well, right? Probably not. That probably, it doesn't work out that way. If I, if I want to call someone and say, what are you doing? Especially if it's someone that I haven't talked to in a long time. Uh, Paul has a relationship with his church, but... You know, they don't have texting. They don't have FaceTime. They don't have any of that stuff. And so, like, a lot of time goes by. And so, you know, they kind of grow apart just a little bit. But Paul still loves them. They still know that he loves them. They're still a part of things. A lot of times, if you haven't, you know, had contact with that person, but you see them on Facebook or something acting a fool, and you just want to automatically, like, shoot them a message and be like, what are you doing? Like, a lot of times that may not be received well. And so I feel like Paul, before he writes this, I, I think, Obviously, he's led by the Holy Spirit to do this, but I feel like in being led by the Holy Spirit, he just paused for a moment, and this is just me thinking this, but by the, by the words that he's saying, is that he just pauses for a moment, and he just reminds himself and allows God to remind him of who they are in him, and that they're not just like people to kind of just go after. They're actually children of God. They're actually, they're actually saved. They're actually sanctified, and, and so I feel like he then uh, kind of maybe has like an empathy 
towards them. And so I think that's kind of why he opens things the way that he does right here. And so we're going to break it down just a little bit. So why don't we go ahead and read it? We're going to go, uh, we're going to go 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse, um, through verse 10, all right? Or verse 9, I'm sorry. So let's just kind of uh, read this, and you guys follow along, and uh, we'll see what he says here. So he says, Paul, this is his first words to them. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Sosthenes. There we go. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we're going to take a look at this. We're going to break this down and we're going to see and take a really kind of magnifying glass into the scripture and look at what it is that he's actually telling them right here. Okay. Because if you guys are like me, a lot of times we pick up the Bible, we read it, we skim over some stuff and we're like, okay, I get the general idea. This is a greeting. All right. But what's he really saying in this greeting? Because words matter. And I know that whenever you guys are writing a letter to someone, uh, words matter. You're not just filling the page to fill the page. You're actually writing things down because every word that you've prayed through, every word that you've said, you've probably even gone back over it again and reread it like six times. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. Like you're sending kind of an intense email or you're sending kind of an intense text. Are you the people that I am? I'm the person that like goes back over and I'm like meticulous about every word. Oh, I don't like that word. I think I'd rather say this word. No, I think I'd rather like, like every word that he's saying here is on purpose. All right. So whenever we look at this, what is it? What are these words that he's saying and what he's meaning? Okay. So he goes on in verse one, he says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. All right. So Paul reminds them again of his credentials. All right. He's like, Hey, I'm not just any person that's writing you a letter. I'm not just a random person that doesn't like it, right? I'm not just some holy Karen that is, sorry if there's anybody named Karen in here. I'm not just some holy Karen that is like trying to get on to you in this moment, all right? I feel sorry for Karens in the world. Anybody else? Like, I just do. I'm sorry, Karens. We need a different word. But like, that's not what he's doing. He's not just complaining to complain, all right? That's not what he's doing. He's saying, look, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ and I am writing a letter to you. I don't know about you guys, there are no more apostles in the world, all right? The apostles were those men that were sent out specifically by Jesus, right? Most of the apostles were the ones that spent time with Jesus. They were there for his death. They were there for his resurrection. Paul wasn't in that camp necessarily, but Jesus, after his resurrection, called him out, spent time with him, taught him everything, and then, uh, and then you know, was, Paul was sent out. And so Paul is, by every definition, an apostle of Jesus. So he's not just any random person. This is the apostle Paul writing a letter to him. If an apostle writes you a letter, that's serious business, all right? If that's what happens, that's serious. It's not just random. So he's reminding them, hey, I'm not just your average person. I am an apostle 
from Jesus, and so I am writing you this letter, all right? Uh, I love what he says because he says, and our brother Sosthenes, like at first you read that and you're like, I don't know who that is, all right? But it's crazy because if you guys remember back in Acts 18, all right, whenever Paul went to Corinth to plant the church, he showed up. Where did he go first? He went to the Jewish synagogue and he started preaching the gospel to the Jews first. Then it says that they didn't like his message, so they reviled him, all right? And then, so he said, fine, I will leave because you want me to leave. You're kicking me out. I will. So he goes and he plants a church, a Christian church next door in the house of Tish's Justice. And he's like, hey, can we use your house? This is paraphrasing. Can we use your house? We're going to plant a church here and we're going to share the gospel from here. Justice is like, yes, absolutely, absolutely you can. The first people that are saved from that church plant, in, according to scripture, that we see in scripture, is a guy by the name of Crispus, and he is the leader of the synagogue. So Crispus is the leader of the synagogue. He ends up coming to know Jesus. The Jewish synagogue is like, well, we don't have a leader anymore. What do we do? And they're like, let's find a leader. So they go and find a leader by the name of Sosthenes. That's the new leader in the Jewish synagogue. And if you guys go on in Acts, um, in Acts chapter 18, it says that the Jews tried to like stir up a bunch of trouble against Paul. And then it says that they went and brought him in front of the, the proconsul, Gallio, I think was his name. They brought him in front of the proconsul. And, uh, and the proconsul was like, look, this is you guys' business. This isn't mine. Well, what happens is they got so angry, they didn't beat Paul. They ended up beating Sosthenes is who they ended up beating. And so, and that's the last thing we hear about Sosthenes. It's like, wow, they just beat up their, their leader of the synagogue. That's crazy, right? And then you, but if you flip through in your Bible a little bit more, you get to 1 Corinthians, and then you're like, holy cow. That's what happened to him. He ended up coming to know Christ, and he ended up, his whole house ended up giving their lives to Jesus. And so he's like, hey, it's not just me here, but Sosthenes is with me as well. So I think it's so cool um, that we get a little, a little glimpse of what happened to him. Because a lot of times in Scripture, it's like, what happened to that person? Well, that's kind of cool that that's what happened to him. Uh, and so he goes on in uh, verse 2 and 3, all right? And it says this, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. All right. So remember, he reminds them of his credentials first. This is who I am. And then he reminds them of their credentials. That's what he's going to do right here, because it's almost like they had forgotten who they were. And so he reminds them of who they are. All right. Spirit, the Holy Spirit inspires him to do it for a reason, because I think it's a great way to bring people back uh, to God in that is he reminds them. So well, let's, let's break this down. Who does he remind them that they are? Because words matter. In verse 2, the first thing he says, he says, to the church of God. The church of God, right? The church word church right there, uh, in the Greek, the original language is ekklesia. And the, and the word, and what that means is a called out assembly. Like that's what a church is. It's not this building. Whenever you're like, hey, we're going to go to church. Like you should have people in your mind. It's not... A building. The church is never called, is, is a building in scripture. Whenever the church is mentioned, it's people, and specifically, it's a called out assembly. Called out of what? Called out of the world to reach the world, right? He's like, I'm separating you from the world to take you to the world so that they may 
be separated from the world and called to the world. And it just continues in a cycle like that. That's who we are as the church. And I don't know about you guys, but I am just in awe sometimes that God called me from a young age to be a sharer of the gospel. Like, I think that's such a privilege. And I think it's a great reminder to me whenever he says, uh, you know, to the church. Sometimes I need to be reminded, hey, Greg, you are the church. You are the called out assembly. You have been called by God to salvation, to be a part of a gathering of believers for the sake of the gospel. That's an awesome task that has been given to us. We get the opportunity to be sharers of the gospel. And so that's the first thing that he tells them is, hey, you are the church. But well, look what he says, though, more specifically. You are the church, but you, not just any church. You are the church of who? God. You are the church of God. And I know sometimes we just kind of clump ourselves in our minds with other random religions, and, and especially because we live in a sea of churches and we live in a sea of different religions, uh, that we're just like, ah, oh, you're just another one of those religions. But guys, there's only, according to the Bible, there is only one true God. There's only one. Remember what he says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is literally saying there's only one way to the one true God. There's not a bunch of gods. There's only one true God, and there's only one way to that God. And whenever he reminds them of this, he's like, you're not just the church. You are the church of the one true God. You're not just in some random religion. You are the church of the God, all right? And it's not something to take lightly. It's not something to pursue lackadaisically. It's an honor to be a part of it. And, uh, and it has eternal significance, being the church of God, all right? And I, and I think they needed this reminder because it appears that they have forgotten. And I just want to ask us sometimes. And, and when I'm reading through this, guys, I'm studying the scripture, and I'm like reading through it. I'm like, all right, God, what is it that you want me to tell uh, the church through this? But best way that I've thought about studying for a sermon or studying for like teaching Sunday school class or something like that is to ask your question, to ask first, God, what are you saying to me? That how, what are you saying to me through this? So I, as I'm sitting there and I'm like looking at all this and it's like, you know, you are the church. You are the church of God. Like I'm not only saying, yeah, Corinth, you are the church of God. I'm not standing up here and saying, yeah, Hope Community, you are the church of God. I have to look at myself first and go, Greg, you are the church of God. You're a part of that. And I just sat there in awe whenever that, that just comes over me. And I'm just like, wow, what a privilege that it is that I get to be a part of the church of the one true God. And I just think that's so incredible. And so don't ever take that for granted that you are the church of God. And he goes on and, and he specifically says, you are the church of God in Corinth. In Corinth, right? They weren't planted somewhere else. They were the ones that were called to Corinth. There was only one church in the, in the moment that was called to Corinth, and they were gifted with that calling to Corinth. So God hasn't only called us to carry the gospel, but he's also planted us right where we are for a reason. Wherever it is that you live, wherever it is in whatever neighborhood that you live in, in whatever city that you live in, in whatever country that you live in, you are called there. If you're a believer and you're, you are a part of the church of God, you are called to that specific place for a reason. It's not just random, all right? It's never just random. 
We are called here to this area for a reason. We were called specifically to this city for a reason. We're called specifically to this neighborhood. Guys, we didn't pick where our church is. I wasn't like walking down the street and going, you know, I think I want to be a church right here. We there we are only because God has led us exactly where we are. And so we are in this community. We are in this church specifically because God is saying, hey, Hope Community, you are the church of God in New York City. You are the church of God in Park Slope. That's who you guys are. What a privilege that they have to be the church in Corinth and, uh, and to be salt and light there and to be, um, to, just to be called to share the gospel there. And it's the same thing for us, guys. God, this is the thing. I, I see so many times in churches, and it, and it totally kills me, and it's becoming more and more and more popular, is that churches, churches, and I heard this even growing up, and I didn't see it so much, but I am seeing it so much now. But churches are becoming more about the consumer and, and, uh, and teaching people to become consumers than it is about going out and reaching people. And so it becomes more of like, you heard maybe the terminology like a country club than a church. And so a lot of times whenever people are picking a church, they're thinking to themselves, what's going to serve me the best? Where can I find a good kids program? Where can I, where, where is it that the preacher is like awesome? Where is it that the music is like awesome? Where is it that most people want to be? Where is it that people my age, people my whatever, like it becomes a consumer thing. And I'm not saying God isn't calling you to a place where he's providing those things for you. But I am saying that we've got to move away from a consumerism mindset and a country club mindset of a church because we don't exist for us as a church. We exist for God, first of all, but we exist for the community that he's planted us in. And you see the Corinthian church, they were all of a sudden forgetting that. And they were now thinking to themselves and living in a way that they're like, we exist. Like we are here. We're not called to go and share anywhere else. We're called here for us. And so they're starting to have all these visions in their church. They're having all of these problems in their church. And they're saying to themselves, we exist for us. And Paul is like, you've never existed. Don't ever think you've existed for you. And guys, I'm standing up here, yes, as the pastor of this church. But if you guys ever, us, if you guys ever see us existing for us, please call me out on that. I give you full permission to come up to me and say, hey, Greg, where's our outreach? Why are, why, why, what are we doing for the community? What are we doing for this city? Like, how are we out there sharing the gospel with people? How are we out there providing hope uh, to other people? Like, call me out on that, all right? I give you guys 100% permission to do that, please, because I don't ever want to not exist uh, for the people. So, and, I, and, and because God has specifically called us here. He didn't move us all the way from Louisiana to just have what we had there right here, all right? Like it's not, it's not, he's not called us just to say, oh, just move here and do church here. No, he's called us to reach people. So he says, you're specifically the church in Corinth. Um, and then he says this to them. All right, he says, you're the church to the church of God that is in Corinth. And then he says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. All right, spiritual word there, super spiritual word, sanctified. What does it mean? That word means made holy. He's saying you have been made holy. You have been made pure. You have been made clean. You have been dedicated to the service of and loyalty to God. 
That's what he's, that's that word sanctified right there. All right. Cause we can gloss over that word and we could be like, oh yeah, cause they're sanctified. But what is he specifically saying to them? He's like, Hey guys, don't forget. And I think he doesn't want to forget also that that church has been made holy. They have been made pure and clean. They did have, my, I love my wife's testimony because you guys know, uh, Tamara is a, um, if you guys know my wife, she likes things clean, right? She likes things tidy. And all the time, whenever people come over to you know, our apartment and they just show up unannounced, that's like the worst thing for her, all right? Because the place is not clean, right? It's not tidy. Yet every time somebody walks in and they're unannounced, they walk in and she's like, I'm so sorry about the mess that's in here. And it never fails. They're always like, this is messy, right? But the thing is about her testimony, which is just so awesome, is that the reason that, that she gave her life to Christ whenever she did is because she found out that sin made her dirty. She found out that sin actually stained, and she's like a seven or eight-year-old child, and she's like, I don't want to be that. Like, I don't want to be filthy. I want to be clean, and that's such a good place to be because that's something that we should all desire. We don't want to be stained by sin. We don't want to be stained by the things that God hates. We want to be made clean, and that's what's awesome. I know a lot of people who are so miserable because they think they have done stuff so wrong, things so bad that they can hardly live with themselves because they feel so dirty inside. And they come to God and, 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 I, and I'll talk to people and I'll say, you know, all you need to do is you just need to, to come to faith in Christ and he'll make you, but you don't know what I've done. Like you don't know all the things that I've done. I've done some terrible, awful things and I'm too dirty to come before God. I'm too dirty to come to church. I've done too many things that I know that he hates and I can't be a part of church. I can't even face God. How in the world am I supposed to come to know Christ? Because, and they just have this burden in them. And, and I love the fact that, that whenever we are saved, we, God never asks us, hey, fix yourself first and then come to me. No, you're going to always be broken and you're going to always be dirty until you come to him. Then you're going to be made clean. And in that moment, Whenever you give your life to Jesus and you put your faith and trust in the cross of Jesus and you say, God, I want you to save me. Please forgive me. In that instant, every single sin that you've ever committed is completely wiped away. And it's like it's, it, it, it's not that it never happened. It's just that it was placed on Jesus and he died for you. So it's not that it, that it just gets dismissed or that it just goes away. It is dismissed on your behalf because it's placed upon Jesus. And he takes that for you. And in that moment, you get to stand completely clean before him. And that's what he's saying to them. He's like, guys, you live in a very terrible society. In one of the most immoral societies that, that, that our world in history has ever seen. And he's like, you lived in that, and so you were probably involved in a lot of things. But if you'll remember whenever Paul, he's saying to them, Paul is saying to them, if you'll remember when I came to you, I shared the gospel with you, God cleaned everything for you. He sanctified you. And I think what they had forgotten is that they were sanctified. And now they were going back into this kind of old way of living in an unsanctified way, an unclean way. And so I think they need to be reminded that they're holy that they have been separated. They, have, they are pure and they are clean. And not only that, they were dedicated to the service and loyalty of God. 
That's what they were dedicated to. And I think, church, that, that we need to remind ourselves of that sometimes. Because if we will continue to tell ourselves we have been made holy, we have been made pure, we have been made clean, do you know, do you know what that will do for how you live? It will change everything for you. Because you won't sit there, remind yourselves that you're sanctified, and then go out and live in a way that's not pleasing to the Lord. You will go out and you will live in a way out of gratitude that is pleasing to him. And so he reminds them, hey guys, you are sanctified. You are pure. You are clean, right? And then uh, what he says in, in uh, the fourth one here. So he says to the church of God, remember you are the church. Not only the church, you're the church of God. And not only the church of God, you're specifically placed in Corinth. And he says to those sanctified, holy, clean in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Called to be saints. So he's, he, he specifically reminds them that they are saints. And that's kind of crazy because uh, there are a lot of different ways that the word saint is used today. Um, but if we're talking, let's talk about what the Bible says a saint is, all right? Um, what, a saint, what a saint is not is just somebody who's a nice person, right? Um, I remember whenever our mission team, I, I was called a saint the other day. Uh, by this random person in the subway uh, because our mission team had left and they had some, you know, Metro cards left over and they bought a week and there were still two days left on it. And so I had, I had everybody give me their Metro cards so that I could go down into the subway and like just randomly pass it out to people and say, hey, there's two days of like unlimited rides on this if you want it, right? And specifically, I walked down into the subway and there's a guy who's trying to feed money into the machine, right? except he's trying to put the minimum amount just for a round trip. And so immediately I thought to myself, why would anybody put the minimum amount? Probably because that's the only thing you can afford in this moment is the minimum amount. So I walked up to him and he's trying to feed it a dollar, right? And I was like, hey, one second, before you continue that, you know, in New York, people are like on edge automatically when you approach them, right? Especially when they got their money out, you know, and you, you approach them in this moment. Um, and I just said, hey, before you do that, I've got some Metro cards that are left. It's got two days, unlimited rides, uh, man. And he was like, floored. He was like, How, what? Like, are you kidding me right now? And he took it from me and he was like, oh my goodness, you are a saint. And I didn't feel like getting into a theological conversation in that moment. All right. So I was just like, hey man, no problem. May God bless you. You know, I hope that it's a blessing to you. And then, and then I went on and then I went down into the subway passage. People uh, on the um, what's the, the platform, and uh, and he found me again, and he was like, just again, thank you for being a saint. Thank you for being a saint. That's not that's not what a saint is necessarily. There's another uh, misbelief in the world, um, in another denomination, uh, that a saint is only somebody who's confirmed by a specific church because they've done so many confirmed miracles or confirmed things that that person is only given the title saint. But guys, if we're being biblical about this, that's not what a saint is either. A saint is literally, and you can go look this up, like go study in the scripture, what does the Bible say about saints? And it will come up every single scripture. Every time the word saint is used, it's talking about the church. It's talking about believers. It's talking about those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. And so if you've done that, like that person was like, sir, you are a saint. I wanted to be like, I am. Praise God, you know? But in his, con and like he was using it, that would have sounded very prideful. 
And so I was just like, I, you know, like we all can be reminded and need to be reminded and they need to be reminded that you're not just an average, you're not just a random believer. You're not just a person that just chose salvation and then all of a sudden you're in the world and, in, you know, and, and, and here with a bunch of other Christians and a bunch of other church members. No, every single one of you that have put your faith in Christ, you are a saint, all right? I wouldn't recommend just walking around, you know, being like, I am a saint, everyone, right? But no, that's something that we need to be reminded of because it's a privilege to be called so. We are saints. And, uh, and so, and I encourage you to go and study that, all right? Um, and so, ultimately, that word is literally someone that's been called out, purified, set apart for the work of the Lord. Those, all those things that we just talked about. And that's all of us. And then I love what he says because he says, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Christ Jesus as Lord. I love this because he's like, you're not, yes, you are the church in Corinth, but let me tell you, Corinth, the church is way bigger than just you. And I know that you can't like hop on a plane. I know that you can't just get in your car and like go to the next town and like hang out. I know that you can't go to the beach and hang out with another church while they're baptizing someone because there's only one church at this moment in Corinth. And if they're going to go visit another church, they got to get on the donkey or walk or whatever they're going to do to go travel and to go see this other church. And so whenever you live in an environment like that, it's really, really easy to think that you're on an island. It's really easy just to think that you're the only ones. We're the only ones. And guys, let me just tell you that right now. We live in New York City. It's super easy to think you're the only Christian, right? It's super easy to get just kind of down about things. And to be like, man, I wish I just had to, like, because you go to work, right? And are there any other Christians at work? You go to the gym, you work out. Are there any other Christians there that you can talk to that, that know your language, you know? Are there any other Christians whenever you go down, like, to a restaurant or to a movie theater or to wherever? Are there any other, like, you can feel like you are on such an island in this city. And this morning, like, I am... I'm more convinced that I want to wear shirts out loud like that, that tell people that I'm a Christian just so we can find each other. Like I really wish we would, let's bring back WWJD bracelets. You guys cool with that? No, I'm kidding. Um, but like I wish, I really wish that it was like, hey, uh, like let's wear a shirt that has like, you know, like a, a cross on it or like, well, the cross kind of lost its meaning. But like, but, you know, something that's like, hey, overtly Christian, like because this morning whenever we stepped out to go to Becca's baptism, <laughs> I know. People probably think I am weird, but this guy really smiled. But like he wore, um, this guy was walking down the street and, uh, and he had a shirt that said Jesus freak on it. And so I walked up straight to him and I was like, I saw a man with a tat on his bed. I'm just kidding. I didn't really do that. Um, I didn't start singing Jesus freak. No, but I looked at him and I just said, hey man, I really love your shirt. And he kind of looked at me and he was like, hey, thanks a lot. Like we just had a moment. I was like, I'm a Christian too. All right, man. Can I get your number? Like, yeah, that's kind of what. That's kind of what I feel like doing whenever I run into other believers. You know, it's like, man, let's hang out a little bit. But we can so, we can so much feel like that we, you know, are on an island sometimes. And I love that he says, look, you're called to be saints, but you're called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In every place. Guys, we're, we're bigger. The church is bigger than this. Uh, Danny prayed, prayed earlier today at um, Becca's baptism. I love something that she said. She said, we are not just one church, yet we are one church. Because there were two churches represented there, but there was only one church represented there. And I just thought that was so good. I thought that was so 
deep that, hey, that's so true. And it was good to see them. And before we left, I just looked at the pastor and I was like, thank you guys for being in Bay Ridge. Thank you guys for sharing the gospel there. Thank you for being a light there. Uh, and, and we're praying for you guys in your ministry. Next week, I'm so excited, on Sunday, um, we're going to be back in this room, except there's going to be hopefully close to 100 people uh, in this room as we, as we and, and two other, three other churches come together to worship. Like, we're going to get to all come together. It's not an outreach event. Like, we're not, the gospel isn't going to be shared at this event unless it's through the music. But, so I should say it will be shared through the music. But it's not going to be overtly shared. Like, we're not saying, hey, bring all your friends that need to hear about Jesus. No, next week is about, hey, let's get a bunch of Christians together because a lot of times it feels like we're the only ones. And, a lot, and here's, the, here's the negative side of feeling like you're the only one is if you feel like you're the only one, then all of a sudden you kind of become the authority on what the church needs to be. And you end up, have you guys ever, have you guys ever heard the song that says prone to wander? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. If we don't remember that we're part of a church global, then our proneness to wander and our proneness to leave the God that we love will infiltrate the church. And your church will then wander. And your church will then leave the God that you love. And that sometimes happens whenever you think that you're alone. Uh, and you're the only ones. And so uh, he says, called to be saints together with all those in every place, every single place, right? And the reason that he's saying this also is because he's saying there is no division in the church. Because next week, whenever we come back, that's the first thing he's going to deal with. Is because they are starting to be divided and they're starting to fight one another. I know it's crazy, right? It's unheard of, a fight in church. Yeah. But they're fighting over who they follow. They're fighting over like all of these crazy things. And he's saying, look, there is no division. There is no division in a church. You guys have heard the quote, um, it's 100% of the shots you don't take, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. You know what I'm talking about? You've heard that one before? Well, like I, the other day we were, not the other day, this was a couple of years ago. <laughs> Third day, every day is the other day whenever you're 40. Um, but uh, it said, we were passing a billboard, and it said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And I was like, oh, that's from the Bible, except there was a picture of Abraham Lincoln. And it said, dash Abraham Lincoln. And I wanted with everything into me to climb up on that billboard and go, dash Jesus Christ. Like, because that's, what that, that's where that comes from. In Mark 3.25, Jesus says, and if a house be divided against itself, it cannot stand. And that's what we also have to remember is that we are a church, not just individually, but we are a church together. And it is so important for us to not be divided on that. All right. Um, so anyways, for, uh, in order for us to, to remain together and to be a church together, it all takes us doing equally our part of being together and, and not thinking one of us is higher than, than the other person. Like, I'm more important because I do this, or I'm more important because this, or I'm less important because I only uh, We've got to always remember that we are just one church, all right? Um, and so, uh, yeah, let's look um, right here. We're going to close out with this. Uh, we're not going to break this next section down as much as we did. I'm just going to read this one more time, and then we're going to just kind of talk about what it means overall. But it says this. It says... Um, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He says that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, 
so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I love that because in, in 4 he says, again, it's like, it's like a compliment, but not really a compliment because he's like, I give thanks to my God always for you. And in that moment you can be like, oh, thanks. But look what he really says here. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So he's basically saying, I thank God for you because he saved you, right? Not because of what you're doing, but he's like, I specifically thank God that you guys have been saved. I specifically thank God that, that the grace of God has been given you in Christ Jesus. And I remember, I remember in Acts chapter 18, whenever he was in Corinth and he was struggling with some stuff, and Jesus said to him, um, you know, take heart, like nothing bad is going to happen to you because there are people in this city that still, that belong to me, that haven't come to me yet. And so he's like, so I need you to stay here. And so I can imagine Paul in that moment being like, all right, we're going to do it. But then after Paul left, he looked back and was able to see all the people that came to know Christ because he was faithful in being there. And so Paul is, is digging up that thankfulness right there. He's saying, I, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you. He's like, I thank God that there were people in that city, in your city, that were saved. And he says that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. He's like, you guys were given the Holy Spirit. You guys were given the gifts that are proof of salvation. And he says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, he says, so that you're not lacking in any gift. You were given all the gifts as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love what he says there because I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times um, I think that the church can be really harsh on people who uh, are, are kind of, uh, there's a word called backslidden, and, uh, and that just means that you used to be like really involved in the church, but then you kind of walked away. And there's a camp of people that will just be like, well, if that happened, then that means that they weren't ever saved in the first place. That scripture right there blows that mindset out of the water, all right? Because that scripture right there, he's literally saying to them, I know that you're not acting like you're saved. I know that you're not acting like you belong to Jesus. But praise God that the proof was in the Holy Spirit given to you. And you cannot deny that they were given the Holy Spirit. They were given the gifts. And so it's almost like, for me, whenever I read that, and I think about people that have come through our ministry, and, uh, and I'm, just, I'm just praying that God brings, you know, that, that are no longer maybe walking with the Lord or they're kind of going their own way about things. I'm just praying this kind of prayer right here, that God will bring them back and, and use someone to bring them back because the proof was in the fact that they were given the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because guys, the, the Bible says once you're saved, there's nothing that can take that away. Like you did nothing to gain your salvation. You can do nothing to lose your salvation. So they, it wasn't like they lost their salvation. And again, I also think that this is proof that you cannot lose your salvation. Because if anybody could have lost their salvation, it was the church at Corinth. All right? And that's just the truth. Yet he's sitting there reminding them and himself that they were believers, that they were saved by God, that they do belong to him. And look what he says here. He says in verse 8, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, I know you've done all this stuff, but praise God that he's going to sustain your salvation till the end and that you st will stand before God guiltless. No matter, no matter the things that you've done, you're going to stand before him guiltless, all right? 
And he's reminding them that of that. And, and then he, I love what he says in verse 9. God is faithful. Because it's like, it's not by you. The reason that your salvation is going to stick is because God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's like, it's not anything about anything that you've done. It's everything he has done. Um, you know, as we close, like, and, and, you know, I think about this scripture specifically. I look at this and I read this scripture and where I walk away, like what my takeaway is from this scripture is I know that there are times in my life that I am not acting in a way that reflects what I believe. I am not necessarily acting in a way that represents that I am saved. No matter what it is. I mean, it could be in marriage. It could be in parenting. It could be in a relationship between you and your parents. Uh, it could be any kind of relationship. Like, there are areas in my life where I royally mess up. And I really mess up. And, and, and if people were to look at that part of my life and go, is that guy even a Christian in the first place? Like, I know, I know that those kinds of things are in my life. So whenever I look at this, I'm like, God, where do I need a realignment, right? Where do I need to be realigned? In what part of my life do I need to be realigned in? Because, God, I want to be realigned in that. Um, and you guys know what I mean by realignment, right? Like, like, whenever I say that word, I don't know about you guys, but I think of, like, a car, right? Um, and I know that, like, I know that, like, Whenever I was 16, uh, you know, my first car was a 92 Pontiac Grand Am. And I thought I was awesome. Um, and I had that thing, dude. I, oh, my gosh. I wasted so much gas because every time I pull up to a light, I'd be like, everything's a race. <laughs> like, you know, let's go. Um, I don't care who it was. It could have been like a Porsche. I'd be like, you want to go? <laughs> my car's like, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I had that car and I remember – uh, and if you guys remember, maybe, I don't know, maybe you guys were like those people that had like Mercedes as your first car. But uh, that Grand Am, whenever I would drive, I would have to like adjust the wheel in order to go straight. You know what I'm saying? And so like it was always like a fight. It's like, all right. And if I let go of the wheel, it was like, all right. It would like go off to the left, you know. And, uh, and so I constantly had to like realign, uh, you know, like the wheel. But then finally somebody was like, you know, you don't have to deal with that, right? I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, just take it into the shop and they'll what's called realign your car. And I was like, seriously? Like, you can do that? And they're like, yeah. So I like saved up some money and, uh, and I was like, I'm going to go realign my car. And, uh, I paced it, and then I got it back from the shop and then I, like, I was like, this is a miracle. Like, this car pretty much drives itself now. Like, I don't have to do anything. And it was just completely realigned. And, and, and I think about that and I use that kind of like as, you know, a spiritual metaphor because it's like, I know that, and we said again, I'm prone to wander, but I know that in my own life, like if I take my hand off of the wheel, which is the word of God and which is, you know, scripture and which is my fellowship with him and praying and all of those things, and I kind of take my hand off of that, um, then I'm prone to just go to the left, right? And, uh, and or, or whichever direction, like I'm prone to go away from him. Um, and if I, or if I, you know, if I stop reading scripture, like I'm, I'm going that way. So the way that I always have to be realigned is to be reminded of all of these things that we just talked about right here is, is I really think God did a realignment on me just reading through the scripture that, Hey, Greg, you are the church, but you're not only the church, you're the church of God. And you are the church of God that he has specifically placed in this city. And you are sanctified. You are a saint. 
And you are not alone. You are, some, you are part of something so much bigger than just yourself. Like you are a part of a church global. And whenever I look and whenever I think of that, it almost gives you like a realignment and you're just like, all right, let's go. Let's do this thing. That's right, God, you have called me to this. And it kind of, it kind of spurs us to holiness. It spurs us to Christ-likeness. And, uh, and so I hope that, that going through this scripture is a good reminder of that for all of us today, uh, that we walk out of here going, all right, we've gotten some kind of like spiritual realignment. Like, let's remember who it is that we are in Christ. And I think that's why he starts there. Because he's about to like remind them of all the things <laughs> that they've been doing. But first he reminds them of their credentials. He reminds them of their identity and who they are. And, uh, and, and so always, always remind yourself always remind yourself of what your credentials are in Christ. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.